Hey everybody, you are listening to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy, a podcast. I am your over-experienced, under-advertised, and outspoken professional interrupter. And dumb guy, Christian Serge. And as always with us, our co-host, author, reverend, soon-to-be doctor, one of my favorite people on this planet, the smart guy, Johnny Morrison. Christian, that was quite quite the introduction for yourself. (laughs) I liked it. Thanks. Wait, I just feel over-experienced. Just, I feel like I have a story for everything. I, but it's, it really is what makes the show like fun to do. Is that there's always some like random story that's like that's pretty connected to whatever we're talking about. It has some life lesson in it, or at least something exciting about it. And then, and then I'm also the guy. If you've seen Jerry Maguire, when he says, "Hey, you remember that photo where the owner of the club takes a picture with the hero, and then they show it, and you see just half of Jerry Maguire's face?" That's like me. In bands and in studio <laughs> projects and on movies. Anyway, how are you? I'm doing all right. I'm Good. doing all right. This week kind of feels uh, more normal than last week. Last week when we had met, I had just gotten power back. Remember that? After right. like hurricane right. winds in Utah. So this week felt kind of normal compared to hurricane winds in a desert. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> I'm glad you have power back. That's awesome. Got power. Have a fridge that works. I mean, you know, small problems in the scope of things, but... When you're like a city person who reads too many books, like you don't know how to survive without power running to your fridge. <laughs> Speaking of reading books, I read a new book by Micah Bournet, a man who mm. lives in Long Beach from Long Beach, California. It's called Here Comes This Dreamer. I know Micah Bournet. He's going to join us next week on the podcast, and it's going to be mm-hmm. a special episode. Yeah, it is going to be a special episode. I don't know Micah as well as you do, but because of you, I've had the privilege of meeting him uh, and I'm now similarly reading his book. Uh, super beautiful, super challenging, really excited to have him on the show. I want to tell you a little bit about this, everyone who's listening. This guy, I met him when he was doing a little bit of uh, a spoken word for a Christmas concert, and he talked about the little drummer boy and how he just wasn't mm. down with the little drummer boy, the whole story. And he kind of pointed out now what I know is be racist things in that story. Mm. And it really sent me on a path to discovering all of my racial biases and being a little bit more self-aware. And he is described by some as a staunch nonconformist. And he has this, this thing that he always talks about, fighting evil with poetry. And mm. I tell you, this book, I couldn't put it down. I love poetry first off. But I couldn't put this book down because I felt like every poem, there was a, a an entire book could be written on each poem. Hmm. I want to read one to you. And I know that I am white. I know that I won't do it justice. But I just want to give you a taste of what we're going to talk about next week. Kind of his struggle and his story in being an artist and a producer, a singer, spoken word, uh, music, and author. This is called King of the Concrete Jungle. Do you mind if I read one? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Up to you. Here it goes. Micah Bornet. Mean Muggin is a mask, melted into my skin. I lied for so long. I forgot where I hid the boy I was protecting. I never wanted to be mean, just alive, just respected. And being gentle and innocent never saved black boys from being brutalized. I transformed into the stereotype, hoping to scare the real dangers away. I will still and murder and rape. You're everything. Please stay far away from this beast. If I must be killed as something less than a man, Christ, I'll be hunted as a lion before slaughtered as a lamb. Hmm. So much there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the conversation will hold, but please join us 
next week as well to chat with Micah. That's right. And if uh, you're just new to the show, that's actually an unusual entrance, but it gives you a picture of what we do, which is for the next 23 minutes or so, we're going to have a conversation about culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. And occasionally, like we'll do next week, we get to bring a guest in uh, who's smarter than both of us and has some insight and wisdom to bring to whatever it is that we're talking about. That's right. Let's jump right in. This week, I have been hearing so much about a phrase that, I, to be honest, Johnny, I don't know if I believe this really is a new thing or if it even exists or if it's a bad thing. I'm questioning the entire spectrum hmm. of the term cancel culture. Hmm. When I know people like Micah and I read his book and I, I think if anybody knows about being canceled or pre-canceled or post-canceled, it hmm. is the black race. It is people of color. And so I'm going, well, yes, for them, it's a bad thing. But for other, like when we talk about Confederate soldiers being torn down and can't quote canceling, I don't think that's a bad thing. So I pulled up a few articles. One really struck me. It's in the New York Times. It's an opinion piece called 10 Theses about Cancel Culture. And he talks about what we talk about when we talk about cancellation and gives kind of 10 basic theses. Mm -hmm. And he brings up some really interesting points about like, hey, cancel culture has always existed. And then on one side, no, it hasn't. He's saying, well, remember when Brutus and Cassius canceled Julius Caesar? Mm. He goes on to a point that really struck me. His second point, it says, all cultures cancel. The question is for what, how widely, and through what means. Because mm. about in 2009, I had an experience uh, firsthand meeting Lucky Palmer. And I don't know if you know Lucky Palmer, but he invented the Oculus Rift. So in 2009, I'm doing a, a documentary piece on this emerging technology, run into Lucky Palmer. He's going to Stanford. We sit down in the hallway, pulls up his laptop, hands me this kind of duct tape phone thing, headphones, and says, oh, you should check this out. And we had a conversation about how this spacewalk made me feel mm. and how I felt transported. And then fast forward a year later, I meet him at EDC again and we start talking and he's like, Hey, I can't talk much about the Oculus because, you know, PlayStation and Facebook and who knows what's going to happen. Then we see, of course, Lucky Palmer being the face of Oculus being purchased by Facebook. And then all of a sudden, he donates $10,000 to a Republican ad that says too big to jail or something about Hillary Clinton. It was a pro-Republican post. And all of a sudden he's gone, canceled, mm. completely canceled. And this guy's, you know, a billionaire now mm. at 23 years old and he's completely canceled. I don't know the story of Lucky Palmer. So that's interesting. But I wonder like, like, what does it mean to be canceled if you're a billionaire? Like, it doesn't mean, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. You're a billionaire. <laughs> okay. No one can touch you. <laughs> okay, you do have a point. He, he. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's the thing. I like this conversation about cancel culture because I think I wrestle back and forth with it. Like similar things, like what you said, that it's unfair. But I think one of the things that I wrestle with the most about cancel culture is that it feels like the people who most often complain about cancel culture are powerful people who are afraid of being held accountable for the things they've done and said. And then nothing happens even when they are held accountable for it. So 
Louis C.K. is canceled for what, like a year? And then he goes and does 15 sold out shows that are racier than ever. Yeah. Like J.K. Rowling, people are trying to cancel her for some of the transphobic things that she's tweeted, but her books are selling more than ever. She has like a hundred more magical beasts and where to find them movies. I think there's a video game coming out. Harry Potter Land is coming out. She's making more money than... I mean, as much money as she's ever made. So what? nothing is happening to her. People were canceling Netflix because of cuties, but are subscriptions to Netflix going down? No way. I've always learned a term, being in the marketing industry myself, is any press is good press. Yeah. If we had a show that was based on, like if, if something happened on this show that was completely shocking and it gained notoriety for shocking and people disowned us and my family's disowned me, and <laughs> you know, the show would do really, really well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess you're right. Billionaires, they don't really suffer other than the fact that they may be discredited. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, we can't do witch, hunt is, witch hunts right now, right? You can't just be like... Because that's the cancellation of the 13th century, right? Mm. You're a witch, and we're going to cancel you. We're going to kill you. See you later. I, I feel like the cancellation or cancel culture is just an angry mob maybe giving justice in their eyes. And mm. so I'm not sure. I, I think that oftentimes cancel culture is unfair. If you look at, let's say, Martin Luther King. Yeah. We wanted him canceled. Done. Yeah. Not me. I didn't want him canceled. Malcolm X, angry mob, you're canceled, done. Let's look at religion. I come from a Mormon background. Joseph Smith, angry mob, you're canceled. Mob kills him. Hmm. Unfair, yeah, to take a life, take justice in your own hands, yeah. But I think it just happens. If that's what cancel culture is, then yes, I I would agree that it it goes to places that are unfair. I think this is what makes it complicated. Like in the, the 10 theses from the New York Times is a good article. And Vox did another one on explaining cancel culture. And one of the arguments they make is that cancel culture could be rooted in like the boycotts of the civil rights union. Mm. And so if you have a group that has less power, how do they find a sense of power? Will they collectivize to refuse something? So if you have the civil rights movement, you don't, you do a bus boycott, you cancel busing because it's racially discriminatory. But if black Americans aren't paying for buses, then they'll go out of business. So you cancel buses because you don't have the power that the state and federal government does to restrict, uh, regulate and control bodies. So you have to find some other ways to do it. So, you're right. Like if, if cancel culture is the same thing as the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., which I'm not saying it is or isn't it, but if it is the same thing as that, that's bad. Mm-hmm. But there's this other piece of it, which is the ability of communities that have consistently and historically been marginalized or to say they've been canceled to collectivize and boycott uh, people with power in a way that has some tangible effect, right? So there's like almost like a, There's a sense of like taking back power by collectivizing and canceling. But in the end, just like you said with Lucky Palmer, what did it matter? Now, we don't see him. We don't see him around. He's not in the public eye. But as much as I want to cancel Trump, he's got too much power because 52 million people love that Mm -hmm. guy as their hero. Mm -hmm. Totally. That's the tricky part, right? Yeah, it's like it feels like the fear... Like, did you read, I posted in the, in the notes, the Harper Collins letter on against cancel culture. So Harper magazine does this letter against cancel culture. They get all these like New York times article writers, JK Rowling, a bunch of other, I think like Noam Chomsky signs it like reputable people to sign it. And what they're naming is that like, Oh, we're afraid of being canceled 
and that, that it's an overexpression of justice and it's gone somewhere wrong or bad. Hmm. And I, and in that case, it feels like this where it's like, I don't think any of these people really have that much to be afraid of when it comes to being canceled. Like you get moved from one magazine and you go become the editor somewhere else. Your books don't get sold amongst these people, but these people buy it even more. So it's the same thing you just said with Trump. Like, I don't know that cancel culture really exists in the way that these people keep naming it and, and are so afraid of it for people who are powerful. Now, if you're not powerful and you get canceled, that actually becomes like something that is probably ge- genuinely very scary and damaging. I feel like sometimes we make, we're making this subject of cancel culture to be way more complicated than it is. I know mm. that the, in the article that I posted, it's, he's saying, Hey, it's complicated in the Harper's letter. They saying, Hey, this is complicated. There's a better way to discuss bad ideas than canceling people or, or, you know, it feels like that sometimes we, like it's a creative way to just use free speech to stop people or entities from influencing mm. a large number of people. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's sure. where we l- we're learning it now, or maybe that's what is happening in this cancel culture is that we mm. as a people have been uh, patternized and, and taught and programmed that if we don't want to listen to something, we don't have to. We can block, mm-hmm. unfriend, delete, and find our little bubble of the th- people and the things that we like to listen to and be a part of. And so totally. the other side is like, oh, poor me, you're canceling me. You're, you're, mm. you're canceling me. All my listeners ran away because I said something bad. Mm. There's two places where I wonder if it becomes damaging and harmful. There's an author who who writes like comedic insightful books named John Ronson. And he wrote a book called, um, so you've been publicly shamed. And he tells mostly the stories of like pretty regular people, not like celebrities. I think there's one like B level celebrity, but mostly regular people who do something really stupid on Twitter Mm -hmm. or something really stupid on Facebook. Like the very first story is a woman who's like, she's like a hundred followers on Twitter. She tweets an insensitive joke, but is actually kind of meaning well by it. Gets on a plane, goes to bed, wakes up 12 hours later. She's been fired from her job. The tweet's been shared like a million times. And she had to like change her name and her identity. That definitely feels like a moment where cancel culture has done something damaging to someone Mm. who actually can't recover. Like they, that person does not have the cultural power or the financial power to rebuild a whole life. And she's trying to figure out how do you like hire a company to change the internet for you, which is like an impossible thing to do, right? Like that feels like an extension, like an overextension of the cancellation power into shame and damage. I think reputation.com, I think you pay them a thousand dollars a month and they help clean up your reputation. Yeah. It was something like that. It was exactly, that's exactly what she did with something like that. And they just like filled the internet with other like boring information about people with the same name as you or something. Right. So like if you Google Christian surge, if after you use the site, you would find so many other random things before they got to whatever the bad thing is you were trying to hide. I struggle with empathy for that story. I do, but I don't want it to happen to me. Right. I would yeah, totally. <laughs> I wouldn't want to say something insensitive. I say insensitive things all the time. And then if I was fired from my job, I remember that happened to a school teacher as well. And maybe she mm-hmm. was a school teacher where she said something insensitive about maybe a you know, one of the students or something, and then she ended mm-hmm. up getting or politically and she ended up getting fired for it and people were hollering at her. Unfortunately, the first time this happens, society has uh, a lot of fear 
and Mm -hmm. hatred toward those moments. And then as it continues to happen, we have more tolerance for it. We see that all the time Mm -hmm. in any kind of injustices or, you know, that's, that's why in Black Lives Matter, they're like, hey, don't forget, say the name, don't forget. Mm. So I struggle with empathy for that story. I don't want it to happen to me, but the lesson learned is be careful what you post online. If you're on one side, if the extreme of the spectrum is you're Donald Trump on one side, you're the president of the United States, you're technically the most powerful human being alive, and you're a school teacher on the other with 100 Twitter followers, like the level of cancellation that you receive hmm. should be proportionate to the amount of social power you wield. Hmm. Right? Because it's almost like there's nothing we can do to Trump, but we actually can ruin this woman. Yeah. And that doesn't seem fair no. to the, like, the crimes they're committing in the public sphere. Sure. Right? Which I, I don't know that there's any way to like regulate that, but it does feel like that this person does not deserve that level of of like judgment and and power wielded against her. Whereas this person deserves so much more. Yeah, cancel culture is like a a modern day Salem witch trial mm-hmm. for those who don't have the power to withstand it. Totally, or enough air, or enough to air to hold you know their breasts until someone cuts the rope down off their neck. Totally. I mean, the Salem Witch Trial is exactly that. It's a culture demonizing and villainizing women in their community they don't understand, but women who probably have power because of their connections and wealth and whatever are able to avoid those same kinds of things. Sure. So one of the things that happens a lot with this conversation is people say that cancel culture stops the the necessary dialogue that produces a mm. good society. Okay, that's an interesting point. That reminds me of this whole wear a mask, don't wear a mask. You feel like you only have one choice or the other. And so you have to pick a side. And Mm. I'm a guy that doesn't like to be controlled. And so I don't want to pick a side. I look Mm. at those situations and go, all right, what's the third option? That's a good point. Like cancel culture at its best is the communities of the marginalized communities taking power and boycotting as a way of unifying and collectivizing their voice, mm-hmm. right? Like that's at its best is it's a way of empowering mm-hmm. the disempowered. That's a good thing. But I, I agree with what you just said. Like at its worst, it is the, it is like the mob mentality of culture determining what it is that we think, what it is that we are allowed to do, what is mm-hmm. permissible, what is acceptable. And that feels like that's the worst case scenario because if the two sides of that conversation are like Republicans and Democrats, we are so screwed. Sometimes it feels that way in this culture. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that you have just two choices. Yeah, that is exactly right. And so what do you do is like, what is the way in which you create room to be disruptive and to open up new spaces of dialogue? And, and when I say that, not sometimes I feel like people who are critical of PC culture, they want to be critical of it because they want to mm. say things that are hateful. So no. that's not acceptable either. So it's not about like being like screw PC culture. Cause I want to say whatever racist nonsense I want. It's not that it's like, how do you open up spaces of dialogue, attuning where people are genuinely listened to genuinely heard and where things are actually explored in depth and reality. Like how, how does that thing happen in your life? What was the original question you asked me? Do you think, or because sometimes the argument is that cancel culture stops the important dialogues from happening in culture that make a good society. Yeah, it does stop a good dialogue because you feel like you have one choice or the other. And then there's this, we back ourselves into a corner and all we have to do is 
kind of throw hate back and forth at each other or accusations back and forth at each other. I think the hard part is mm -hmm. when you are feeling like you don't want to pick side one or side two and you know that there's a third side or you know there's a better side or let's even call it you know that there's another side that we can talk about, getting that other person mm -hmm. in a space right now to actually have a conversation is so difficult Sometimes it's it's infuriating. You get upset because you just can't have a conversation mm. with somebody about a third option. It's one way or the other. I think that can be true. Like that if you're afraid or if you like stuck in like ideological sides, then it limits what you're able to do. Um, yeah, I think that's true. I, I, st I don't know that I want to say that cancel culture does that always in our society, right? Like I think there's moments where it's doing something really positive and powerful calling. and calling shitty people to account culturally. Mm. Right. So I do think that's true, but that makes me think of, that actually makes me think of another question. And it's in a roundabout way, similarly connected to what you just said, which is like, what do we do about people who have been canceled on the other side of being canceled? Like, is there a, is there a way in which people are redeemed? Hmm. In terms of, this woman who had a hundred followers, was she redeemed? No. When you say that cancel culture gives disempowered people, I think I'm saying it right, the chance to take mm -hmm. something back, are you specifically talking about, say, you know, toppling over Confederate soldier statues? You know, the examples that I was thinking about mostly was like Me Too, like the Me Too movement. Mm. Like that, in large part, like someone like Louis C.K. Kevin Spacey. Or James Franco or Harv Kevin Spacey. Um, and Kevin Spacey, in many ways, it feels like has been more permanently canceled than someone like Louis CK. But I think that like cancel culture puts a light onto something in this moment that has been so shoved and pushed away by people, by men who were powerful and able to control what's happening around them. And cancel culture felt like the collectivization of these like people who had less power than them to all of a sudden have hmm. equal kinds of power. Yeah. And that feels very important. Like, Louis C.K. should be held accountable. Harvey yeah. Weinstein should be held accountable. James Franco yeah. should be held accountable. Kevin Spacey, and the list goes on and on. I just like Usual Suspects, and I still like watching Kevin Spacey. Does that make me just an idiot? Does that make me just a terrible person? Dude, that that is a big question. Like, this is maybe a separate episode. Like, what is the role that a person's actions play and how we perceive the things they've made? That's a big question for for a whole different episode. Because there's a there's a there's a this is similar. There's a theologian that has really influenced my life. Uh, a guy named John Howard Yoder, who had similar accusations made against him, um, about like sexual assault and you know, like improper behavior with students. And it's like, what do you do with his work then? Especially like in a religious context. Yeah, I don't know. I this is really hard because six months ago. I would have no problem watching Kevin Spacey films. And then when I apply that same rule to mm. what I watch, you know, uh, Epstein's films, you know, that he was in, I'd be like, hell no, no way. That guy's mm. terrible. Did I like Louis C.K.? Yeah. 
Would I watch his films? I want to. Mm. You know, watch his comedy? Yes, I want to. I've never watched the show Parks and Rec until really recently. And I didn't know, but like Amy Poehler was good friends and is, I think, still good friends with Louis C.K. And so he shows up in the second season um, as like a sub character. And I know lots of people who still watch Parks and Rec. And I was like watching it, didn't know he was there and like kind of wrestling with the same question, which is like, what do you do in this moment? I, I honestly don't know. Um, I think there has to be some kind of separation between the art and the artist. Um, but this is, yeah, I, if, if you guys, if anybody who's listening has an answer to this question and has figured it out, you should let us know. Cause I don't, I don't know how to hold the balance. I don't want them to have make money off of the things they've made in this sense, but you know, it's funny. There's a video out there on YouTube put out by the New York times called Here's what cancel culture looked like in 1283. Hmm. And they touch on this subject about someone saying something years ago or doing something years ago and apologizing for it. And then the public not accepting their apology because it wasn't right. And then the person saying, well, then I don't apologize. And then they get mad up again. They get all, all crazy again. They want to hang this person in, in 1283. And as an artist myself, I know that when I do a, uh, something that is artful or a song, I have a specific experience and I write it about a specific thing and it is a representation of me at that moment. And I'm sure I'm going to do something dumb later on in life or previous to life. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate forgiveness and mm-hmm. I would like people to still enjoy my art or my films or my music. So if I had to put myself in the shoes of Louis C.K., he's still human and totally. he still is loved by people. Mm-hmm. Do we hang him emotionally, physically? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I, I am prone to agree with you, but I did just think of something else because I think if it was that same article, the 10 thesis that you talked about, Maybe it was a different article, I can't remember, but it was like a a gallery owner talking about like if we removed every problematic artist, the galleries would be empty. Hmm. And thinking like, well, they wouldn't be empty. They just wouldn't be filled with problematic white dudes. (laughs) Because there's also a large culture. and There's also the story of our history is that white men have relegated and controlled the spaces of creative freedom. And so then there would be different kinds of representation. And so that's another challenging thing about this, which is like, it's not like we're erasing our history. We're actually naming how problematic our history is and creating space for the rest of the world's history, which is beautiful and big and needs to be seen to be seen and heard. Mm. Well said. I don't know if we answered any of our, our questions today. I Nope. <laughs> I feel a little more confused, especially when I'm, (laughs) you know, thinking about the questions. I'm not sure cancel culture really exists as we say it does. And if it does, is it really something we should support or should we fight against it? And if someone's been canceled, do we cancel their whole entire lives out of our lives or do we give Mm -hmm. them grace and forgiveness? And is this talk of cancel culture just powerful people being afraid of being held accountable? Mm hmm. Please have conversations on your own and let us know what you think, because I don't know. I, I am still on the fence with this. Yeah, totally agree. I would love this. This episode a hundred percent came about because of a friend of ours who listened to the show and was like, you should talk about this. And so like I took the bait, you should do the same. 
We took the, we both took the bait, uh, and here we are stuck in the mud. Uh, it was a trap and I'm not happy about it. No, I am. This was a great episode. And I think like, I'd love for other people to engage with the same conversation and also send us things that you think we should talk about. Cause this was fascinating, um, to dive into together. We both think about it a lot separately, but to do it together, we'd love for other people to suggest topics, conversations. Maybe you could just do that on our Instagram or, uh, you know, absolutely tweet at us. Yes, Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. That ends our episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Next week, we will have a very special guest, author, singer, spoken word artist, and producer, Micah Borne. We'll chat with him about how he is fighting evil with poetry and through his new book, Here Comes This Dreamer. If you haven't yet, just like Johnny said, follow us on Instagram for quotes from the show and to engage us during the week. Send us Mm -hmm. their thoughts on what we should talk about. Smart Guy, Dumb Guy, all lowercase. Subscribe or come back again next week if you like our conversations. But like always, be sure to have your own. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks. You have been listening to a Smart Guy and a Dumb Guy production, a podcast exploring culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. See you next time.